0: Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. So what's the number one thing that you need to help you to overcome adversity? well on this week's episode of tiara's Tears and triumphs i have a great conversation with justine martin and justine is known as the queen of resilience justine has a story that is hard to believe and she has used the adversity that has happened to her in her life to now help others So 10 years ago, Justine was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Then she underwent three heart surgeries. And on top of that, she ended up having three primary cancers to deal with. So all that happening just to one person, you know, much of it at the same time is just so hard to comprehend how she navigated those challenges in her life. So Justine was told she would never work again, but that was never an option for her. Justine catapulted herself into the world of business. She not only changed her life to give it purpose and direction, but also inspired those around her with her story. To be resilient means the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's a toughness. So this definition has been the cornerstone of Justine's extraordinary journey. So let's open the door on today's episode. Just a caution, if you feel unsafe, at any time please stop listening. You can come back anytime you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. Hello Justine and welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast. I am super excited to have you on the podcast today. So very warm welcome and I you know the guests have already heard a bit about you in the intro and what an amazing resilient person you are but if you could just tell us a bit about yourself in your own words that'd be absolutely fantastic.
1: Well uh, I was diagnosed with MS uh, 10 years ago actually today and uh, I've faced a lot of adversity since then. Some would say you know just having MS is uh, a major adversity and it is but my body decided to throw a few more spanners in the works and 2013, 14 and 15 I had heart surgeries and then in 2016, 17, I was diagnosed with three primary cancers as well as another blood disorder and I've, I've, come, I've come through all of that and everyone kept saying to me, you're so positive all the time, you know, you're, the life is heading in the right direction, you're so resilient, uh, what's the secret? And I actually didn't know um i'm like i don't know i'm, I'm just me I, you know i get out of bed every day i make my bed every day that's the first thing that i do regardless of how i'm feeling so at least i've accomplished something in the day even if it then means i just go and lay on the lounge or i lay back on top of the bed later on at least i've made the bed so i really have to sit down and evaluate okay what is it What are my coping mechanisms? How do I keep so focused and how do I keep so positive even in the side of adversity? And then once I worked out that, I'm like, I can help other people. And so I'm known as the queen of resilience now and um, I help a lot of uh, other people uh, overcome their adversities.
0: Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And I've met you, we are, you know, developing a beautiful friendship. Yes. But I haven't known you all that long, but I have had like this insight into your tenaciousness, I suppose, that um, you're so full of creativity. And I guess, you know, I'd really love to talk about the part that creativity plays in this resilience mindset that you have. And are they sort of mutually exclusive or does one really feed the other? Okay,
1: so for me, um, I'm from a very arty-farty family. There's lots of artists. We've got a silversmith, a graphic artist, another artist. Um, uh, So I grew up around that creativity, Um, not so much with my mum, but, um, yeah, definitely other members of the family. And then I'd always wanted to learn how to paint through through high school I learned music I wanted to be a classical composer and conductor and that was my that was my dream in life you know when we were all going through school and people ask you well mine was yeah to lead a massive orchestra that's what I wanted to do and and hear my symphonies being played and I wrote a symphony when my first time when I was 15 and you know I was aspiring to that and then went off to uni and my mum became ill and I had to go home and look after her and she had MS as well and I taught piano for about another 10 years after that but never went back to writing music and uh definitely not back to conduct conducting orchestras and um so never did art at school but took up the music side of it which is still that creativity and um that kind of person and then uh back in the early 90s now I'm you know, showing my age, there was a um, hobby called hobby ceramics. So not pottery, but hobby. You'd get statues that were in greenware and you'd rub them back and you could paint them. And And I started doing that. And I'm one of these per- people that when I set my mind to something, I don't just achieve it, I excel in that. And I ended up selling that hobby ceramics to uh, supplying around about five different stores uh, with that and won various um, ribbons and medals at shows and everything for it so it was you know of exhibition quality and selling quality and um, still wanted to paint I didn't consider that art I didn't consider that painting but I wanted to learn how to paint a picture and then life got in the way and I was really busy with my two kids at the time and single mum and then went into a relationship, and. Uh, then I got diagnosed with the MS, and then I had to stop work. And my neurologist turned around and said to me, You're going to have to find a hobby. And I went, Well, I've always wanted to learn how to paint. So it took me around about four months to walk into an art studio that my girlfriend ran. Um, in WA and I'd drive there and I'd be all keen to go and I'd sit outside and I'd just burst into tears and I couldn't walk inside because of the anxiety that I was experiencing. I went from a very social job I was a program director for Jenny Craig and before that I was a Weight Watchers leader and you know I used to see hundreds of people a week and was always social and out and about and then all of a sudden when I was told I couldn't work anymore um, my home became my sanctuary but it also became my jail and I was suffocating at home and I was going down that black hole like you wouldn't believe and I didn't know how I was going to get out of it And um, then, you know, wanting to learn how to paint but getting to the studio, couldn't get outside, heart racing, sweaty palms, you know, heavy breathing and, and then driving home in tears and angry at myself and then angry at everyone else around me and angry at the world and angry at my body. And then the next week it happened again. So for about four months that happened. And then I finally sat there one day and went, what the hell are you doing? Get off your pity party and just walk through the bloody door. What's the worst that can happen? And I even knew the facilitator. I knew the artist that was running it. Um, And so I did. I walked through the door and I sat there for the first lesson and she said, oh, you're a natural at this. I'm like, oh, thanks. And I kind of felt like it was home. It just felt I felt at peace in there. Um, My disabilities weren't evident so much in there I felt normal if you want to put it that way if I ever was normal before MS which I don't think I was but anyway I felt normal and um, yeah I just kind of fitted in and then we moved over to uh, Victoria about four months later and I found two Classes over here, one which was run by MS Australia, which is a social support day program, and another one through the Drysdale Community Centre, so the Springdale. And I was the youngest at the Springdale by about 25 years, I think, in that class. It was a real hoot. Everyone else had retired and then took up painting, and which is what my plan was, that when I retired I was going to, you know, learn how to paint, you know. But, my again, my body had other ideas. And um. so, yeah, started painting through them. And it has just become such a way of life for me now, not just to paint and make money, but, it's my form of meditation. If the world starts cloning in on me, I know I have to get back into the studio and create something. So I've done podcast interviews today as we were talking about Sandy and in between if I get, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, I'm in the studio and I'm I'm painting and I'm finishing something or I'm doing something because I just de-stress by doing that. And everyone needs a hobby. and. Make, make that hobby something that you can create. It might be cooking. You know, people enjoy cooking and creating something. It doesn't have to be putting a paintbrush uh, to paper or in my case I do a lot of finger painting as well. So it doesn't have to be messy art like that but something of creation. Create a garden, you know, put your time into that, growing vegetables or fruit or flowers uh, because the reward is is just mind blowing
0: and i think one of the things that you've touched upon is that you it's you, you haven't left a stone unturned so you always had this desire within yes. you to be able to paint and you put that off because you had other things going on in your Mm. life and so in your mind you thought oh well that's something that I can leave until my retirement Um, because when I'm retired that's when I'm going to have time to Mm. immerse myself in hobbies and creative pursuits you're a highly creative person you have been a highly creative person all your life you for somebody who's that musical and i love music so for me music has been my um go to as a form of therapeutic healing yeah. as much as i've gone into really uncomfortable places when i'm you know learning how to perform and sing it has helped me heal because it's music heals and and speaks to you like nothing else can and i think it's the same with art Mm. is something that transcends when you go into that creative process that is something that you can't make sense of and put into exact words as to what that impact or the effect the flow on effect is going to be for you in allowing yourself to engage in that form of creativity
1: Mm. And it's it's epic. It's it's huge. And you know, COVID, when everyone had to stop their their jobs and were in lockdown, so many people realised from that that they weren't fulfilled and that they didn't have hobbies and that they were stuck at home, just like I was ten years ago, eleven years ago, and they didn't have a hobby. And how were they going to fill their days? and it's it's so important for self-care yeah. uh, to be creative.
0: absolutely, absolutely. And it's something that is often overlooked. So I'm really glad that you brought attention to that, and you're really the person to bring attention to it because it's something that has helped you to not only to go on a path of healing in your life, mm-hmm. but it has also given you that resilience that comes from just committing to be engaged in creativity. Yeah. And it's it's committing to live your life. Like I want anyone who's listening to this, I want you to go to Justine's website and I want you to have a look at her art because her art is full color and that's the way that Justine lives her life she lives it in full color Mm there's just no stone unturned nothing left unexplored if there's something that presents itself as being uh, something that you want to scratch that itch you go ahead and you scratch it you know you don't you're not held back because of things that are happening in your life. And you don't allow things that you might otherwise, you know, like hold you back because you think I don't want to push myself. Um, You know, is this going to be too much? You just allow yourself to continue to explore life and immerse yourself in life fully. So this is today. This is my life and I'm living my life. I'm going to
1: live life. And that's what I get from you every time I see you. So for me, Sandy, time is the most precious commodity on the planet. Yeah. You know, we can buy oxygen. You can go and buy an oxygen cylinder. You can buy food. People give you food. But time, you cannot borrow it, buy it, steal it, replace it. And, you know, you've got to be really careful on who you spend it on and who you spend it with and what you spend it on. So, yeah, I'm. life is too short to be beige, way too short to be beige. Um, my house is colourful. Quite often I wear colourful clothes. I smile because, jeez, it's easier to smile than frown. Geez, it's easier to be, you know, positive than negative and cranky all the time. I don't have the energy for that. Um, you know, when I started painting and all my bright animals and, and that, actually I'll rewind a bit. When I stopped work, I lost my purpose. What was, what was my purpose in society? I saw myself as a burden to society. Um, I could no longer earn my own money and I was solely reliant on my fiancé at the time and that was not a healthy relationship that we were actually in either, which ended up falling apart some 12 months after I was diagnosed um, or 18 months after I was diagnosed. And I had lost myself. I'd really lost myself on that bright, vibrant person who I was I was just a shell of my former self. And it's like, well, what's my purpose going to be? You know, I'm going to be a burden on society, on the healthcare. I can't contribute taxes anymore. My kids are growing up. They are becoming independent. My son had just gone off to the army, had my daughter at home. And, you know, she was 14, 15. So she was becoming independent as well. And it's like, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, am I going to sit at home and look at these four walls, which did protect me from the outside but was, you know, turning me loopy as well on the inside. And so when I started creating art and um, then creating these animals that I paint and all the bright colours, people would stop. So I entered lots of exhibitions and people would stop and just smile at them. And I was getting comments back about, oh, I love your paintings. They make me smile. I feel good on the inside. And I'm like, well, that's my purpose. My purpose is to make people smile by my art and that was the first purpose that, um, you know, I came up with and, and now it's that, that is still um, part of it but there's a bigger picture in there with, you know, my story is someone else's survival guide that just because someone tells you you can't do that, they don't know what you're actually capable of and, um, you know, I hear all the time, so last week, Unfortunately, my cancers are out of remission and they're back. And I've been told by certain friends, Oh, you're going to have to slow down now and not going to be able to do everything that you do. And I'm like, But why? why you know that's your false belief that's that's not mine i know what my body's capable of doing i definitely know what my mind's capable of doing and you know i will achieve my goals all right so the cancer's back we'll deal with that and um we'll squash it on the head again and put it into remission but for me to stay positive throughout all of this will actually help the cancer journey and if i say oh god all right Cancer's back. What am I going to do? All right, well, I'm just going to stay in bed all the day. I'm going to stay in bed or I'm just going to watch mindless TV because the cancer's back. Hell no, that's not me. That's not my coping mechanism. That's not how I gain resilience. For me, it's to tackle it head on, become proactive in my healthcare. It's like, okay, what do I need to change and modify in my life? All right, I need to do maybe a bit more exercise, maybe drink a bit more water, cut back on the alcohol and remain positive, create lots of art through the journey and um, just keep living my day each and every day like it is your last day because tomorrow's never promised to anyone. So, and I don't want to get on my deathbed, so to speak, and say, "Geez, I wish I'd done that." Geez, I wish I didn't listen to them, and and just do it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love that. And you, you said two words, Justine. You said coping mechanism. So, can we just talk about coping mechanisms for a minute? And. Talk about how you sort of stumbled on or how you discovered the importance of understanding what your coping mechanisms are because quite often we're not, we sort of live our life quite. Oblivious to what our coping mechanisms are, we don't actually name them, we just somehow muddle through, and then we look back and scratch our heads and say, How the heck did we get through that? You know, so let's talk about that for a minute mm-hmm. because I know that you have actually really defined what your coping mechanisms are. So, yeah, talk
1: us through that, please. So, one of my coping mechanisms used to be food. And that was a real problem because um, I had a very traumatic childhood and adolescence and I would eat and I'd eat and I'd eat. Even when I was hungry, not hungry, I would eat. And I ended up at 125 kilos. So I was a size 26. So I ate my feelings. Was I hungry? No, I'd still be putting food in there. You know, there's not one celebration or occasion in our lives that we don't celebrate with food. Even funerals have wakes. Everything is food related. Every emotion is food related. So I really have to sit down and and go, okay, why am I eating? Are you hungry? No. Is food going to be the answer to whatever you're stressing about? No. Then why are you eating? Might make you feel good for 30 seconds when you're putting that chocolate down there or that glass of wine even, but then the problem's still going to be there. So I had to find different coping mechanisms. I didn't want to be a size 26 forever. You know, I now sit on around about a size 10, 12, and I know when the scales go back up, it's like, oh, I'm swaying back the other way again. Um, I identified that... Chinese food, this is going to sound really strange. Chinese food was a very big comfort food for me because it's the last meal I can ever remember my parents and my brother and I ever having. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was 1986. My parents had been divorced for about six years, and my dad came to visit and we went out for Chinese. So when I'm feeling like I want Chinese, I don't want Chinese, I just want a hug. I just want someone to put their arms around me. And so food had become that coping mechanism and then alcohol started becoming that coping mechanism. And it's like, right, well, I don't drink by myself anymore, never. And I, I, I didn't excessively drink in it, but I could see that it was, it was going to be a problem. Um, so I only drink now on social occasions. And through COVID, that wasn't very much at all because <laughs> I didn't even do the Zoom the Zoom drinks. Um, I journalize a lot, yeah. So I write down how I'm feeling, and if I can get all of that out of my head, I sleep better, yeah. way better. I make sure that I get enough sleep as a coping mechanism, and that I drink enough water and I'm not dehydrated, and exercise. So I still weight train three days a week with a personal trainer um, and I feel good when I walk out of there because everyone in the gym is so positive. Um, It's such a a good environment to be in. I love grounding. I love taking my shoes off and just standing on the grass or lying in a park Um, and I feel better after I've done that. I love going to the beach and grounding down there um i'm a nudist there you go sandy something new you didn't know about me i'll go to the i'll go to the nudie beach and strip right off and get in my own little world and just fully ground down there and i can tackle the world when i've done that absolutely tackle the world and just put my feet in the sand and when you ground when you actually take your shoes and socks off and whether it's sand or soil or grass, your body releases electricity and you earth out. Mm. And that just helps fight the next battle that's coming. Mm. It really does. And I do a lot of reading as well, Um, heaps of reading. And I seek external help. So I've had a counsellor since 1982, 1982, uh, 2012, I'll get that around the right way, 2012 um, I've been regularly and I'm talking fortnightly seeing someone. Um, So rather than carry it all in here and the frustration and the anger and the hurt of everything that I've been through, um, I sought help. And... I didn't see it as a weakness. I saw it as improving my strengths, and I didn't think that it was fair for my children to carry the burden of, of what I was feeling and what I needed to get out. Um, that wasn't their, that's not their job or responsibility. And, you know, I have had some very dark days, as you can imagine, with everything that's gone on. And so I, I did seek professional help because friends, will agree with everything you say. Yeah. Uh, And they'll tell you, oh, it's all going to be all right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the help that I needed. I needed clarity. I needed someone that I could vent to who um, would, you know, give me some compassion back but also some reality back Mm -hmm. as well. So when I was going through the cancer journey journey, I hate the word journey, but when I was going through that period of time um, with the chemo and um, all of that, I went into one session and did the whole poor me, you know, I wish I had someone that was there with me going through that. And, you know, one of my former relationships, you know, I can't remember the actual wording, but, you know, like that. And, And she goes, what? She said, do you remember how bad those relationships were and why they broke up? And I'm like sobbing and I'm like, yes. And she goes, can you imagine now being in one of those relationships and having to deal with all this shit on top of what you're going through now? And I'm like, oh, God, no. And she goes, this way you can concentrate on yourself. And I'm like, okay, you're perfectly right there. Yeah, I understand that and, you know, I got off my pity party and that and went, right, yeah, well, I can do this kind of thing. So it's all a matter of perspective as well and whether you want to, you know, stay in that pity party mindset or whether you want to turn it around and go, okay, I've got this, I can do this. And, again, that's just a coping mechanism. So there's so many different coping mechanisms that I actually use. Um Another one is to go out with my friends and socialise to, you know, the days that I, I really don't want to are the days that I need to. And, you know, Saturday night, most Saturday nights you'll find me with my friends dancing at the pub because I love music as well still and I love to dance and, again, that's another form of, you know, creativity and um yeah just catching up with them and de-stressing and that really really helps and even when I went through the chemo I was allowed out if my blood levels were okay and I had no infections I was allowed out one night a month and I hung for those four weeks and I made sure I did everything right so I could go out and socialize one night You got your reward. I got my reward. It's funny that you say
0: that those days where you felt least like socialising are the days that you needed to connect with your friends the most. And that's, I remember and I know that feeling, I know that feeling of really just wanting to sort of, I don't know, dig a hole and climb in and, you know, cover it over and just do the disappearing act. Mm -hmm and that that's if you actually fall uh fall prey to those feelings Mm -hmm. that it can end up just dragging you further down and it's such an important awareness to have that that's the moment that you have to as much as like you just don't want to speak to anybody Mm -hmm. that that's the moment that you need to pick up the phone or you know send somebody uh, one of your friends on Facebook a message make a connection and start a conversation with somebody um see who do you know and if you don't if you're struggling not knowing who is in your network at that time because that can happen too when you Mm. get into those dark spaces where suddenly you feel really alone and you actually feel as though there's nobody there that you can turn to in those dark moments you forget that you actually do have people who care about you in your life and that's a time where you need to have have a little reminder list for yourself of who who's on that list who can you talk to on those really crappy days where you really don't feel like talking to anybody and you really feel as though you are alone and there's nobody that you can reach out to um yeah really important to have that little list there and if you can't
1: get hold of them you can always ring lifeline or beyond blue there and maybe sometimes you know you don't want your family and your friends to know what you're going through but you can offload to a stranger and you know be anonymous on the end of that phone call and that definitely helps as well so and it's
0: the same too with you know domestic violence counselling support services mm -hmm. too which you know there are many free online counselling services and you can make those calls anonymously you don't have to know say who you are and you can just you know pour your heart out get everything off your chest all that weight that you're carrying around with you and talk to somebody who's really understanding and who knows how to just be a really good listener and give you those right words of encouragement that you need at that time to be able to get that breakthrough to pick yourself up again dust yourself off and keep going so um now justin you know we've spoken a lot about your health um and this this podcast is here for women who have been through abusive relationships. And I know you've also touched on the fact yes. that you've been in relationships and these relationships haven't been good relationships. So um, if you could just give a little reflection on, I guess that, you know like was that a pattern for you that you yes. identified? Yeah, Um, yeah, if you want to just share a little bit about that, just as much as you're comfortable sharing, Justine, don't go anywhere, please, that you're not comfortable talking about, okay?
1: Yeah. Um, So I've had five major relationships in my life and it wasn't until my arm uh, was broken last year that although I'd been doing counselling, I sought someone else. Because I've become quite familiar with the counsellor that I was under and she was telling me everything but wasn't quite absorbing what she was saying all the time and um, I have a tendency to attract narcissistic men And that goes back to the trauma that I went through with my mum. My mum was a narcissist and I associate trauma and love together. So in a relationship where a man's being abusive to me and it doesn't have to be physical, it can be mental as well, that I see that as love. And I know it's a twisted kind of thing to think of, um, but that's what happened and it took having my arm broken before I um, realised, you know, really the pathway that I was on because, you know, I thought this guy was different and whereas he was the worst out of all of them and the gaslighting, the twisting of my um, mind and the spell that he had me under uh, was huge and so I saw External help and identified these patterns. And the way that the psychologist told me was that hit home. What he, how he told it to me. All of a sudden, there were light bulb moments everywhere. And um, I know that I won't repeat um, the same mistakes that I have broken it. Um, I have nothing to do with that former partner anymore even though he's tried to make contact a few times last year and I know that if I was to reply hello that that would give him power back and that's never happening again and I'm never giving my power over um, ever again, and I'm well aware of that now. And um, you know, I've I've been back dating, and um, you know, some this one particular guy said something to me, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Whereas before, I would have gone along with it to make them happy rather than make myself happy. And I'm not that person anymore. So um, you know, I'm standing up on my own two feet and and no more broken bones no more broken souls um and you know still healing from the process yeah and still healing from you know 20 years ago from from that relationship and and you know putting it up you know putting it all together and you know assessing it all and going okay well I can see where I went wrong I know what I've done wrong and not being a repeat offender um again with it so and and also coming, coming down to that I've, and this might shock you, Sandy, that I've never thought that I was good enough. And that is, so many women don't think that they're good enough when they're actually better than the people that they're with. And, um, you know, I've been in relationships where they've knocked me down because I'm making them look bad. And, you know, I'm excelling in life and and they're not. And all of a sudden they're knocking me back down and saying things to me so I don't achieve things in life to make them look.
0: And then then that reinforces to you your belief that you're not good enough because here I am again and I've just been put back in my place again. And that's Mm -hmm. so it's for you like it is for all of us, it's learning to love ourselves wholly for who we are with our all of our, you know, misgivings, all of our, you know, failings, all of our weaknesses, but loving ourselves wholly and really owning our worth and our value. And once we we own that, because it's really really hard to Mm. say that I love myself I'm really I'm really really good with who I am I you know I think I'm a wonderful lovable person and especially when you've been hurt uh, you know whether there's been it's finding out it's you know getting underneath all of the
1: rubbish and finding out where did this start where did it comes to boundaries as well Susie like I was never brought up with with boundaries I wasn't well I was but I was never taught the proper boundaries healthy boundaries healthy boundaries and that's what had been missing in every relationship um, that I've had and it's like okay well these are my boundaries if if you don't like my boundaries now see you later yeah because I am worthy of those boundaries absolutely and when boundaries are in place then healthier relationships come out of that but when you don't have boundaries and I've always been too forgiving as well and and that's changed um so it's been a whole package that I've had to I don't want to say reinvent myself but you know be kinder to myself if you know I wouldn't allow other people to talk to me the way that I talk to myself or the way that I've let partners talk to me. Yeah. And and so that's, you know, standing up for me now, standing up for me with me. It's like, no, no, you don't talk to yourself that way. You have to um, be kind to you, kind to yourself. And if anyone ever talks to you that way, it's not on. Including you. Including including me. Yeah, and I think that's
0: probably like that's the big reminder that we have to give ourselves is it really starts with us and that negative Mm -hmm. self-talk that comes into our heads so much of the time and it's about being aware, wow, did I just really, you know, put myself down that way? Did I really make Mm -hmm. myself so small to say something like that, so negative about myself? catching yourself in those moments and starting to reframe it and say, no, you know, no, I'm not that, I'm... I'm wonderful. I am courageous. I am resilient. I'm tenacious. I'm, you know, all these things. I'm I'm a survivor. You know, I'm so capable of so much. Look at my life and all that I've been through. And it doesn't, you know, throw perfection, the word perfection, out the window. And then life becomes a heck of a lot more manageable as soon as we start putting these massive expectations on ourselves yep. to be, you know, absolutely perfect at everything all the time, straight away. No one's, no one's
1: perfect. No. No one's perfect about, you know, anything. I mean, you can look on Instagram. None of them are perfect. No. You know, I, you know, I'd love to spend a day with them and see what it's like behind the scenes rather than a photograph that's been doctored up and, photographed, you know, photoshopped up and, and that. No-one's life is perfect, you know. This is life but, you know, don't don't accept less. Don't accept less in the partner that you're with and, you know, seek external help to get out of those relationships because it's not easy but you can do it and your quality of life will far, far improve.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that you touched on too, Justine, was you talked about no contact. You talked about those those tempting times where he sent you a message Mm -hmm. and you could have gone there and responded to him. You know, maybe you felt really reactive when he sent that message and you're like, well, no, actually, And you just want to say, no, this is the way it is. But you stopped yourself those times that he tried to get you to re-engage with him and you went, nope, silence is the way that I keep my power. I don't communicate with a person who's abused me. They don't deserve to have communication with me. They haven't earned that right. And you, you became really clear and strong about that, which is one of the biggest keys, the biggest keys to being able to transition away from an abusive person. As, as long as you have to continue to engage in communication with them, it's going to keep you. It
1: fuels them. That, yeah. they, they love that. They That's yeah. how they have the power over you. And I'm like, no, no more. And the last message that he sent, I was actually sitting outside the hospital waiting for hand therapy.
0: Yeah.
1: And he sent this message asking how I am in that and I'm like are you freaking serious I'm sitting here my livelihood has been affected because obviously it's my right arm and I can't paint and draw like I used to and I'm you know I've got a torn tendon off um ligament off the bone and the cartilage has been torn in half and the bones have healed but the rest of it hasn't and here he is you know, making out that there's nothing wrong and how, you know, how are you? He didn't give a shit how I was. It was just just to get under my skin. He's already living with someone else. How would she feel mm. if she knew? Mm. Um, and, you know, he's repeat offending again. I can see the patterns already and I'm like, no, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Yeah. That's not healthy in my life. Yeah, You know, broken bone, what would be next? Would I be one of those statistics? You know, would I be the next one that was killed? So, it's a really good point to
0: bring that up, Justine, and highlight that because even before it becomes violent, physically violent, um, because there's all that other stuff that goes before that, before that mm-hmm. physical violence, and all of that stuff that comes before that is really easy for them to whitewash so that you 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 can't see that there's really any real harm in what they're doing and but it doesn't mean that that first time that they're violent with you could be the last time because that you end up being a statistic you know so you just Can't mess around with it, the best thing to do is to seek help and support. If you are in a relationship with somebody who is controlling and abusive towards you, then please reach out and get support. So whether that is by contacting a domestic violence support service or an online counselling service and have a conversation with somebody, there's lots of gateways for women to actually access support. And it might even just be a conversation with your doctor that you talk to them about what's going on and they will help you to become connected. It's not always that you go straight to the police and the police are your first poor of call for getting support with a violent relationship and domestic abuse is not just physical violence there's many other forms of abuse that go into that cycle of violence and they are as destructive as physical violence. And um, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to seek support to help you navigate those challenges that you're facing.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, I thought I was losing my mind and that the facts, facts were all changing. You know, I knew what had happened in in certain instances, and I'd seen things. And he would just talk his way out of it and have me believing something totally different. And you know, I'm still blown away um, at at some of the things when I recall it. And you know, seeing laying beside me, sending nudes to to other women, yet. Talking his way out of that, you know, three o'clock in the morning, he'd be sending it to this woman and who he was still having an affair with and, uh, you know, uh, questioning all of it, but then he would twist it around that uh, it wasn't what I'd seen and wasn't what I'd seen him do and, and you know, where he was supposed to be wasn't and and stuff like that. And then, again, questioning my mind and my sanity. And, and then he would often blame it on, like, me having MS. And it's like, no, I know what I saw. I'm sure I know what I saw. And then, you know, that gaslighting was, like, it was just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. But I was even warned. By his ex-wife about him and he twisted all of that around as well and um, yeah she ended up with concussion the one before a couple of broken uh, bruised eyes and you know and it's like okay well what's next you know who's who's next who's the next one that's going to be um, damaged and I'm like yeah I'm out of there yeah. And, and it wasn't a role model for my children either like on you know how mum's being treated and that's okay for it to be that way and and it's not. No one should treat another human being like that. No one has a right to treat another human being like that. No. Um it, it's not absolutely uh,
0: I'm so glad that you are have you broken away from that Um, abusive person. I'm so glad that you have broken that cycle that you've identified uh, that you were in and I'm so glad that you are so full of a love of life that you will not only that you you know continue to persevere with your own life but that you're actually standing up and saying I want to help others because I know you know about all of these hardships and challenges that I've had to face in my life and um and I want to help others so that when they're going through those same challenges that'll give them the courage to pick themselves up dust themselves off and start all over again get up and go again live another day you're an absolutely amazing woman Justine and you know I'm so glad that I've met you before we end this interview I'd love to give you an opportunity to share your link so that anyone who's listening to this podcast who would like to connect with you that they can
1: find you You can find me on justinemartin.com.au or just Google Justine Martin Geelong and I I pop up absolutely everywhere now or you can put in just J-U-Z-T-A-R-T or Resilience Mindset. Um, As you know, Sandy, I've got my own podcast, Resilience Mindset podcast and Um, yeah so you know I'm building that that profile out there and and like I've said you know my story is someone else's survival guide and if my story can just help one other person better their lives and give them hope then it's worth putting it out there
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I will include all of those links in the episode notes. So if you would like to find Justine and connect with her, I'll make it super easy and just go to the episode notes and you can find her and connect with her. And for the final question, Justine, because this podcast is called Tiara's Tears and Triumphs, what
1: does that title mean to you as a woman? means that the world is our oyster and whatever we set our mind to just go and achieve it yeah fantastic well it's been an absolute pleasure talking
0: to you today and i thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast thanks sandy for having me we all go through dark times when we do we often feel alone this is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel but when I turned a corner in my life the light started filtering through please reach out for support with some form of counselling if you don't know where to start to find a counsellor a good place to start is to talk with your doctor there are also many online counselling supports available and a word of advice if the counsellor is not a good fit for you try another and if you need to try another until you have one that is the right fit for you tune in again for the tiara's tears and triumphs podcast helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow hosted by me sandy J. this program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset spells out how to spot the red flags, advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning, gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough, teaches empowerment strategies, acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on, to go from surviving, to rising, to striving, and finally, to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen I am a Life Change Facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go because I need you to share your light and leave a review can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in itunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust it would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel i need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement if you like this show Stay safe, Sandy.